Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming one of Generations Church staff, and that's Christine Sutherland, and she started with the church uh, a few months back now. Maybe it's been, I don't know how many months it's been, but it's been a while that she's been helping and, and uh, doing a great job of organizing. We need that kind of thing in the church. And if you notice, your appointments with Pastor Shav and Amy are getting scheduled in a really, well, a really good fashion. Uh, it would be Christine, so she's doing a great job. And uh, Christine, why don't you come up? Let's give her a round of applause, encourager. She'll be carrying on in our four-part series, the last part of our four-part series called Suckers. Thank you for that welcome. Thank you. I am nervous, but I'm encouraged because I know there are those out you out there of you that are praying for me and have been lifting me up and sending me texts and encouragement. And so I feel better. I, I was actually really relying on being able to see my husband's face at the back. He's a media guy today, but that light kind of makes that <laughs> impossible. So I know you're there. <laughs> um, welcome this morning. We're so happy to have you guys here. Um, if you're new here, um, just know this is my first time. So if I bumble, if I stutter, if I whatever, just grace for me this morning. Um, I, uh, I feel like God's got a good word for us this morning. Um, been preparing through it and working through it myself, and I think we've got some some stuff to contemplate here this morning. So let me just open in a word of prayer. God, we, we ask that you would be here this morning. And, and we have already claimed that Holy Spirit is welcome here this morning. And, and not only is he welcome, but we need him. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts? Would you, would you quiet the noise from the outside world? all the voices that clamor for attention in our heads, God, would you just silence all of that this morning that we would hear from you. We would be in your presence. We would be encouraged. We would be edified this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we're finishing a four-part series about relational suckers. Um, So these are people that we know and love that just kind of suck the life out of us and when I think of the word sucker, obviously I think of the, the candy. Um, that's kind of the obvious one. But actually, as I've been preparing, what kind of comes to mind over and over is like a leech or a parasite. So I want to be careful that I'm not calling people parasites. Um, but sometimes our relationships with people can be a parasitic relationship. Um, my husband, Tyler, he's a junior high science teacher, and he likes to explain things with facts and and great detail. And so often our conversations at home are very science-driven, very factual. And uh, my boys love it. I've learned to rally and love it. Um, So I've often heard Tyler discuss with the boys actually these symbiotic relationships. So there's three symbiotic relationships. The first one is mutualism where both parties benefit. It's good for both parties. The second is commensalism, and this is where one party benefits and the other party isn't helped, but they're not harmed either. And then the third symbiotic relationship is parasitism, 
And this is when one party gains and benefits and the other party suffers. Now, as followers of Christ, hopefully our relationships mostly are a mutual um, relationship. There are definitely times when we're in a commensalistic type relationship where we're giving of ourselves and it's not to our detriment, but it is to somebody else's benefit. Um, but then there are also relationships that can harm us. They drain us and exhaust us. They frustrate us. So we've been talking about as followers of Christ, how do we love the people that suck the life out of us? And uh, we've, we've talked about controlling people. We've talked about critical people. And we've talked about needy people. And now we're going to talk about an especially difficult person for us, especially as uh, followers of Christ. We want to talk about how we love and treat people who are hypocrites. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you know a hypocrite. Keep your eyes on me. Don't be looking at anybody beside you. Um, how many of you have heard that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites? Yeah. So that's the number one complaint that you'll hear from non-Christians about Christians, that we're all a bunch of hypocrites. And often, usually, I would say, when you hear somebody talk about Christians being hypocrites, it's in a heated and aggressive way. It angers people. It frustrates them. In their opinion, all Christians are frustrated or are frustrating because they're hypocrites. So it's important that we recognize this and learn how to handle this. I know a guy who worked for a businessman in town here. He was quite harsh, he was crude, he was rude, and he's, his expectations on his employees were not the same expect, expectations of his own behavior. And so, for sure, this was frustrating for my friend, but he kind of was like, man, this is kind of just par for the course for the business world, that's how bosses act. It wasn't a big deal. Until one Sunday, my friend is at church. He's accompanied some other people to church, and he sees his boss there. And he sees his boss's picture on the wall. Not only is he attending church, he's a leader in this church. And this really infuriated my friend. So he, at work, he acts one way, but at church, he acts a different way. And my friend's words were, this guy is supposed to know better. So let's unpack what it means to be a hypocrite. Where does the word hypocrite come from? So it's actually a Greek word. It was around before, well before Jesus was around. And hypocrite means a stage actor. It means one who wears a mask, literally, because that was, they were talking literally. They were people who were the actors. They would wear masks in the play, and they would portray somebody other than themselves. Later on now in our modern-day world, it has come to mean a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. It's a person who on the outside portrays one thing, but inwardly, they're not living the life they're portraying outwardly. Jesus had no tolerance for this kind of thing, no tolerance for hypocrisy. In fact, if you read in Matthew's Gospel... Again and again, he hammers it. Seven times he says, woe to the hypocrites. Woe to the hypocrites. Woe to the hypocrites. And then he says this about their outward lifestyle. In Matthew 23, verse 28, he says, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So how do you deal with the hypocrites in your life? 
You've all seen them. You've encountered them. Maybe it's a friend who's drunk every Friday and Saturday, but then shows up on Sunday, everything's great. A family member is attempting to conceal an adulterous relationship. A Christian co-worker is stealing from the company. Maybe a boss who claims to love Jesus, but abuses his power. What is your role in a situation like that? Do we have a role, or should we just stand back and be prayerful? How do we respond? What do we do? How do we love those who proclaim one thing, but inwardly they're living something way different? So what I want to do is build a foundation, and then we're going to talk about how we love them. So the first question I want to try and answer is this. Why are they acting like that? If they're portraying one thing and they're living something else, we want to discern why. Because the why helps us determine what we do. Well, let me say again. So what, what they are doing, why they are acting the way they are acting, will determine how we as followers of Christ will respond. Why are they acting like this? And it could be one of several reasons. Number one, maybe they don't really know God. Maybe instead of being a hypocrite, they've just never been spiritually born anew. 1 John 2, 4 says this, Whoever says, I know God, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. The truth is not in that person. In other words, just because they go to church, just because they claim to be a Christian, just because they think that they are, doesn't mean that spiritually they've been made new. Maybe they just really genuinely haven't been transformed by the grace of Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus who said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom. Only those who do the will of God. Just because they claim Christ doesn't mean that they've been transformed by him. This person is not a hypocrite. This person is someone who needs the grace of Jesus. When I was 16, I was at a youth event held in Lloydminster. There was this Edmonton college group that came in, and at the end of the event, they did an altar call. And I was told by my friends that I needed to go to the front. For this this was for me being the people pleaser that I am I was like all right I'll go up I have no idea what this is about I went up I repeated a prayer spoken to me by a very excited very well-meaning college girl and she was so excited that I was saved the only problem was I had no idea what I had done it didn't mean anything to me because I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how that would change my life in any way. And then knowing that everyone around me was so excited for me, I started feeling like I had to live up to the expectations. I started playing the role. Instead of admitting that I didn't have a clue, I learned to play the part. I saw what others were doing and I mimicked it. I learned that if you prayed a hedge of protection around something, you were super spiritual. And I knew you had to attend church. That's where we gathered. 
there's only one problem. Attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a mechanic. Without the heart transformation, you're just playing a part. When we know the reason people behave the way they do, it determines how we respond. Maybe like me back then when I was 16, maybe they simply don't know God. The second thing is, maybe they don't know any better. Why are they behaving this way? Maybe they're new in their faith. And they haven't been taught how they're supposed to live. In fact, Paul was dealing with this problem in the church of Corinth, amongst many other complicated problems. But he says in 1 Corinthians 3.1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. In other words, yes, you've been forgiven. You've been changed by Jesus. But you haven't really grown yet. And you haven't spiritually matured yet. You're kind of like a baby in Christ. This is a person that doesn't need correcting. This is a person that needs instructing. This is why relationships are so important here at Generations. If you're in a community and close relationships with other followers of Christ, you're going to learn naturally what it means to be a follower of Christ by spending time with people who love Jesus and who've loved him for a long time. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. Paul is saying that there are baby steps to take, and when we're the baby, we need to be willing to take the steps to move from milk to solid food. But also, believers, you need to be willing to instruct. You need to be willing to feed these ones. Don't write them as off as hypocrites. Instruct them. Do life with them. Mentor them. Be in relationship. Why they act this way determines what we do. Maybe they just don't know any better yet. Understanding why someone's behaving the way that they are helps us determine what we actually do. Why do they act this way? Maybe they've never been truly born of God. Maybe they just don't know any better yet. So now the third people we're going to talk about. This is where we're going to focus. So this is the ones that do know better. Or maybe they know better or they should know better, but they still disobey God. This is the hypocrite. Maybe they really do know God, and they do know better, but they dishonor God with the way that they live. Peter addresses it this way. In 1 Peter 2, he said, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not my people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter later goes on to say, live as free people, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. 
love the family of believers, fear God. Don't use the grace of God as some kind of covering for you to live any way that you want. This is what will happen sometimes when people slip into the spirit of hypocrisy. They might start by saying, well, you know, it's nobody's business anyway. God's going to forgive me anyway. God's grace covers it. And then over time, they start to rationalize and they start to justify it. God's going to forgive it. It's not that big a deal. And who are you to judge me anyway? It might be the person who says, you know, I just love having nice things. They're not generous. There's no sense of responsibility of the way that God has blessed them to be a blessing to others. It's just, I love nice things. Totally blind. Now, there's nothing wrong, of course, with having nice things. But we need to be agents of blessing to other people as God blesses us. It could be the person who says, I don't have a problem with whatever, anger, criticism. And you're not perfect anyway, so who are you to judge me? God's going to forgive me. And this is the person that at one time did no better, but is now justifying and using God's grace as an excuse to sin. Peter says, don't do it. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do what is wrong. So what do we do in the category of these third, this third type of people? Those who genuinely have been changed by Jesus and yet continually, willfully disobey God. Is it none of our business? Judge not lest you be judged. Is it our business? Should we be non-confrontational and just pray like crazy? Should we be all up in their business and just tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing? Where do we fall in this whole scheme of things? It's very important that we get this right. Because if we get this wrong, not only do we push people further away from the things of God, but we can be a very bad witness to those watching us do it. And not only will we hurt them and hurt the people watching us, but we can hurt ourselves in the process. And that's why we have to be very careful. So I want to give you a few thoughts about how we prayerfully confront from Scripture. The first thing is we're going to pray, God, help me confront with a heart to restore. The heart matters. Your approach matters. Help me confront with a heart to restore. Paul told the Galatians this in Galatians 6.1. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. What does it mean to restore? It means to bring back or to make whole again. Your heart is to restore. It's to bring God's original purpose and to do it gently. To do it humbly. Another translation, uh, or another version translates the same verse this way. It says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly you should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So what's happened? They've wandered off the path. And you're going to help guide them back. You're not the judge to claim what's right and wrong. You're the guide 
helping gently lead them back to a better way, to the way of life, to the way of freedom, to the way of truth. In other words, your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help them be right with God. It's not look at me, you're wrong. No, I'm not the judge. I'm the guide helping you back to life as you may one day help me. We restore gently. Think about Jesus. How did he love people? With grace and truth. A woman's caught in adultery and everybody says to stone her. Imagine if Jesus is only grace. His response is, don't worry about it, just don't get caught. She's never going to be restored that way. What if instead he's just all truth? Yeah, these guys are right. You should die. Stone away. He doesn't do that either. He knelt down and he wrote something in the sand. And we don't know what it is, but some scholars would say that it's the sins of the people in the crowd. Because one by one, they put their stones down and they walk away. And he knelt down and in grace he said, Woman, where are those that were accusing you? And she says, they're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And then in truth, he says, now go your way and be free. Don't do it anymore. There's a better way. Go your way and sin no more. Grace and truth. That's the heart to restore. God, help us to confront with a heart to restore. It's so important that we get this right. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, is God help me confront with a heart to restore. Number two, God help me to confront carefully. Help me to confront carefully. We read on in our key verse from Galatians 6. Uh, let's look at the first part again and read on. It says, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. You want to be very, very careful. Because the moment we put ourselves in a posture of the one who's correcting, we're more vulnerable to pride. And what do we know about pride? Pride always comes before a fall. In fact, Paul, Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, if you think you're standing firm, if you're really confident in yourself, be careful that you don't fall. When you confront, do it carefully. Because the moment we think we're better, we're open to the lies of the enemy. I would never do that. That's so ungodly. I'm so much better than that. That's when you're vulnerable to do the very same thing you're calling out in someone else. So how do we do this? How do we confront carefully and with a heart to restore? All right, so I'm going to give you a quick lesson. Um, Matthew 18, I'm just going to give a short summary. This is essentially what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, notice that he says, if it's someone else who's in Christ. In other words, we're not going to confront non-Christians who aren't behaving like Christians because they're not Christians. 
Therefore, they shouldn't behave like Christians. And when they come into our churches and don't act and behave like us, we're not going to judge them. We're going to love them where they are. We'll give them a safe place to belong even before they believe. Because our goal is not to change their behavior. Our goal is to lead them to the one who will. It's not our job to be Holy Spirit, but to let the Spirit draw them to Christ. So it's another believer. If your brother or sister sins against you, you go to them directly. In the Greek, that means you don't try to solve the problem on Twitter. It means you don't bang out the solution on Facebook. It is important that you hear me here because it's one of the most embarrassing things that Christians do. When we're calling somebody out on Twitter. You know what that's like? That's like walking down into the mall and saying, hey everybody, Sister Judy over here is sinning. I would just like all of you to know, Sister Judy right here is sinning. Judy, we know what you're up to. You need to repent. And we all know. That's what that's like. Don't do that. You go to that person. And you go straight to that person. You don't go to a bunch of other people first. And you tell them, this is how you hurt me. Or this is where you've gone astray. And if they listen, Jesus says you've won them over. You've made progress. Praise God that they've been brought back to the right path. But if they don't listen, Jesus says this is what you do. You bring support. You bring one or two other people who will lovingly support and bring truth. And if they still don't listen gone one-on-one, you've brought in support, a couple people who are lovingly praying and knowing, and then you elevate to, to some form of leadership in the church. It might be that you go to the elders, it might be that you go to the, a leader, it might be that you go straight to the pastors. Whatever it is, you bring in a little more official leadership, and then Jesus says, if you've done that one-on-one, you've brought a couple people, and then you've brought some form of leadership, they still don't listen you redefine the relationship what he says is you treat them like tax collectors or pagans now that doesn't really mean a whole lot to us I've never encountered a tax collector or I've never had to do this in my own life and I know that people that have been in ministry a lot longer uh, for any real length of time are more likely to have encountered this but it's a sad day when we have to tell a person in our life that the relationship cannot continue in the same way because of their behavior. That intimacy and closeness of relationship will be replaced with distance. It is unwise to continue in closeness in, for example, connect group or that with someone who continues to walk in disobedience with the Lord. And at any moment you wanna say, yes, this is wrong. But the moment you want to do what's right, the door is wide open and you're welcome back. But because we've done this, we've talked one-on-one, we brought others, we brought leadership, you cannot continue to behave that way and have intimate fellowship. There's a line that you cannot cross. And that sounds harsh, but that's not harsh. That is loving. And that is how you confront with the heart to restore. 
It's not get out. You're not good enough. It's not, hey, everybody, Judy is. No, it's step-by-step process. It's careful with a heart to bring restoration. We have to get this right. God, help us confront with a heart to restore. God, help us confront carefully. And number three is this. God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Yep, that's right. We've got to do some self-examination. I'm sure we could each think of someone who should be here today hearing this message. Oh, God, it's too bad so-and-so's not here. He or she really needs to hear this. We're talking about them, right? God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Jesus calls the hypocrites blind fools, but they're blind to it. In other words, hypocrisy is really hard to see in the mirror. It's so easy to point it out in someone else, but it's so difficult to see in our own lives. So we just got back from a family vacation in Fairmont Hot Springs, and we go most years with Tyler's family, and it's one of our favorite places to go, and we all have so much fun, and we enjoy it so much. The resort that we stay at is undergoing some renovations and, and improvements. And this year we happen to be staying in the one building that has not been renovated yet. And I was put out. The, the layout was awkward. The storage, ladies, you would know, just didn't make sense. There wasn't enough for the five of us. And it was pretty dated. And there, the dining room table was in the middle of the hallway and was bolted to the floor. Now, before I go anywhere, any further, I'm well aware of my hypocrisy now, but it took me a week to see it. At one point in the week, I was wrestling with the feeling that my brother-in-law was not enjoying my company. I couldn't help feeling like I was annoying or boring not funny or interesting enough. So I expressed my concern to Tyler, and his response really threw me off. He took a moment, and he gently and carefully said to me, I think the problem is that my brother-in-law doesn't like complaining, or people who complain a lot. So he tries to joke, or tease, or make light of the conversation shocked. I froze. I didn't respond. And Tyler didn't continue. He didn't try to drill home his point. He said nothing else. And I sat there confused at first. Then it settled in. Does, does that mean I'm a complainer? Guys, one thing I've learned through preparing the process of preparing this message is that whatever the subject matter is, God's going to lead you through some self-examination. Before you speak about it, lest you be the hypocrite. So I spent a couple days reflecting and trying to see myself through their eyes. I wasn't trying to impose their feelings and expectations on myself. What I wanted to do was see how people experience me. 
they experience the joy of the Lord, contentment, generosity, a new creation. You know, at the end, I was pretty sure what they were experiencing was grumbling, complaining, that things were never good enough for me, and that they had to try to accommodate me. I'm sure you know this was not a fun realization for me. I wasn't thrilled with myself. I was actually really disappointed. I say that I love Jesus and that his love is in me, but the people in my life were not experiencing that and seeing that lived out. See, guys, sometimes we're blind fools. You're a blind fool sometimes. So am I. The thing is that we don't see it. It's the fact that I can say one thing and go home and do the very opposite and not even know I'm doing it. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that in my own life, wherever I'm most condemning of others, that's often a reflection of where I'm most vulnerable. Wherever I'm most condemning and judgmental of others, that's where I'm the most vulnerable. Well, if I had money like them, I wouldn't spend it like that. Maybe they don't have a money problem. Maybe I have a money problem. Maybe your heart is wrong. Wherever we're most judgmental and critical about someone else, it's often a reflection of where we are most vulnerable. David learned this in the Old Testament. If you don't know his story, he was a great man. He was a king, a man after God's own heart who made a very big mistake and then compounded his sin with another sin. One day, when he should have been at war, because he's the king, the leader, and he wasn't at war, he's up on the rooftop, and he's looking out, and he sees a beautiful woman. And he thinks, I like that. Go and get her for me. So he calls another's man's, another man's wife to, to him, and he commits adultery with her. And then to cover up his sin, he essentially has her husband murdered. He has Uriah sent to the front lines of the battlefield, and Uriah is killed. And then he was totally blind to his own hypocrisy. So one day Nathan comes along, the prophet Nathan, confronts him with a heart to restore. He says, David, let me tell you a little story. Once upon a time, there was a rich man who had all sorts of livestock, sheep and cattle and all kinds. And there was a very poor man who had one little lamb. This little lamb grew up with him and his kids loved the lamb and this lamb was kind of like a pet. One day a guy comes along and he's hungry. And the rich guy doesn't take one animal from his own livestock. He takes the poor man's only lamb. And he kills the lamb to feed the hungry guy. And David's like, what? This is the worst thing I've ever heard. And this is what David does. He burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Who is this man? Then Nathan says to David in Hebrew, Aktai Ish, which in English means, you're the man. You're the hypocrite. This thing that you're furious about is the very thing that you did, David, and you're too blind to even see it. 
You can't see your own hypocrisy. Wherever we're most condemning of someone else is often a sign of where we're most vulnerable in our own lives. It's why I want to be so careful that I'm not being the speck inspector. There's a speck in your eye, and there's a speck in your eye, and there's a speck in your eye. Meanwhile, there's a log in my eye. And Jesus says, why would you point that out when you've got problems of your own? What do we know about ourselves? One of the metaphors of who we are as people, it's not really flattering, is that we're sheep. Sheep are not smart. Sheep wander. Sheep are like, oh, something shiny. And what happens a lot of times, the, in, the enemy will whisper to that little sheep, hey, little sheep, come over here. And people wander. Listen to me, just because a sheep wanders doesn't mean that sheep's a wolf. It just means that sheep has wandered. It's not a wolf. We're not the judge. We're the guide. So our posture needs to be, come here, little sheep. Let me guide you back to the good shepherd who takes us to the good pasture. So when our brother is committing adultery and continues to do it, we don't write him off as a wolf that we're never going to see again. We recognize it's a sheep that's been taken from the flock. So we do everything we can to restore that sheep to the flock. And this is what James says. James, the kid brother of Jesus, he says in James 5, 19 to 20, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the errors of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And this is why we must get it right. We confront with the heart to restore because when Satan tries to take one away from the flock, you could be that one that lovingly guides them back to truth and save them from spiritual pain and that the grace of Jesus cover a multitude of sins because guess what? One day, blind fools, we may be the one that takes a step off the path. And I want one of you to love me enough to guide me back onto the path. And that's how you love. That's how you love someone who shows one thing but lives something else. You lead them, you guide them back to the way of life, the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to get this right. We know this, that getting this wrong has caused so much pain, God. May we get this right. Father, I know even right now there are those of us that need guidance back to the shepherd. God, give us wisdom from heaven to honor you and the way we love people back into the fold. We want to do this right. Right. We pray, especially for those who are dealing with this right now, God. Would you give them wisdom? Lead them to be gentle and careful. Give them your eyes so that they can be focused on restoration and not just being right. 
whether it's a loved one, a brother, a sister, a friend, someone that's making wrong decisions, God, give us the heart of the guide, not the attitude of a judge. Lord, help us to want, love this sheep that's wandering and not to see them as a wolf that's out to harm. And God, I pray in the same way that you would lead us in grace and truth, that you would empower us to love your people with grace and truth, handling this with integrity and being led by the Spirit. Give us favor, give us wisdom, give us the words to say, and God, if someone lovingly comes to help bring us back in, give us eyes to see our own sinfulness and a heart to repent, God. So there's some of you here today, you're going to recognize right now that you're wandering. You're on your own. And I just want to ask, how's it working? God, what do you want us to do with this message this morning? Who is Jesus? One of the metaphors of Jesus is that he's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who came to give life to his sheep. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Greater love has no one, scripture says, that he would lay down his life for a friend. Jesus is the good shepherd. And our spiritual enemy, his name is Satan. He's called the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And what does he want to do? He wants to isolate you. He wants to take you away from the things of God, from the people of God. So if you're sitting here this morning... And some of this is tugged at your heart. Maybe there's conviction. Maybe like me, you're stunned and realizing that you're saying one thing, professing faith, but your life isn't showing the evidence. This morning, would you come up and receive prayer? There are those of us that would love to pray with you. Those of us with a heart to restore that want to see people right with God. Don't leave here this morning still carrying this. Don't leave here carrying this because pride won't let you come up here. Or denial feels easier. Be bold, be honest with yourself, and be willing to come forward even if you don't have it all figured out. Even if you can't put words to it, put it in a nice, neat package and ask for prayer. The amazing thing with Jesus is that he is the good shepherd. He said he will leave the 99 and go after the one. And guess what? Maybe today you're the one. And Jesus is coming for you. You're the only one. And Jesus would leave the flock to come for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. As they're playing this last song, you're welcome, encouraged, invited. Jesus wants to meet you here. And if you're struggling, if you're wrestling, if you just found out that there's a speck in your eye, would you come and would you deal with that? Jesus, this morning, would you help us to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be willing to do some self-reflection, to look in the mirror. God, this morning I pray that you would remind us of the incredible gift that Jesus was and is for us even today. That he died for us. Yes, even us hypocrites. But he died not so that you could carry on in your sin, but so that we could be restored to God, to the Father. 
We pray this morning for restoration today and even into the days to come as we sit with this and reflect. God, would you continue to work on us? Would you continue to mold us into the image of Christ? Will we surrender ourselves, surrender our will to you and let you move and work in us? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.